0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic.
1: It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Havertz to the rescue against Newcastle. Kerr to the rescue against Villa. We talk the latest developments on sanctions and takeovers, and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts, and ad-free on the Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. Here we are again, then, listener. The first of our double dose of Chelsea podcasting goodness for the week. Joining me, Matt Davis Adams, R two of the Athletic's Chelsea experts. Hello, Simon Johnson. Hello. And Dominic Fifield is also with us, hi Dom.
2: Hello Matt, how are you doing?
1: Alright thanks, yeah, and I think that it is high time that we started this podcast talking about a football match, Uh, admittedly not a very good one but a successful one. We'll break down the win against Newcastle next.
0: Oh here's Havertz, goes to in! and finishing absolutely beautifully.
3: It was going to take something special to unlock this Newcastle defence and Kai Havertz
4: has I feel that they deserve. Maybe the other the coach does does not feel the same way. But listen, we we showed again mentality and and uh, and we needed that one quality pass, a quality run, and what a quality finish uh, from Kai.
1: Chelsea won, Newcastle United nil. Then a pretty atrocious game of football for 89 minutes until Kai Havertz illuminated a grey afternoon with a brilliant touch and finish from Jorginho's pass to give the Blues a fifth league win. In a row. Uh, here's a tweet from Richard Carter who says, even if at Chelsea FC is sold overnight to a Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk led consortium, I still expect an opening habits appreciation monologue from Liam Toomey on the <laughs> Straight House of Cobb podcast. Uh, sorry, Richard, Liam isn't on today, but I feel certain he's delivering said monologue to his wife, daughter, and dog as we speak. Uh, After a seismic week at Stamford Bridge, we sent one of our senior writers down to the game yesterday to take in the sights and sounds around the stadium on a day when the game between Chelsea and Newcastle was completely overshadowed by greater geopolitical issues.
4: Hello, this is George Culkin. I'm outside Stamford Bridge, uh, not too long before uh, Chelsea play Newcastle. Uh, I've been here for a few hours, wandering around, trying to sort of get to grips with today and what it means and what it doesn't mean. There's a feeling of normal abnormality, I'd call it. It feels like uh, normal match day in, in lots of ways. There's um, lots of fans milling around. It's very, very busy. At the same time, it's not quite the same uh, as it always is. On the tube on the way over, there was a, there was a Chelsea Chelsea fan with his son there, and his son said, uh, Oh, what's going to happen today, Dad? And the older fella said, We're going to f- Smash them like we always do so it does feel normal in that sense but there's small pockets of protests around there's lots of media doing interviews with chelsea fans and the uh, chelsea supporters trust are here too i've bumped into to liam our brilliant chelsea writer what what do you make of the atmosphere here today liam
5: honestly it doesn't look any different to chelsea home games that, that i've been to before you know there are people just milling around you're not, hearing, you're not hearing like endless choruses of Roman Abramovich. I've heard it a couple of times. There was one quite interesting moment as I was coming out of Fulham Broadway station where a guy in front of me with his kid um, got out his phone smiling to sort of take a selfie video of the fans behind him singing you are my Chelsea, my only Chelsea and then they immediately switched to Roman Abramovich he put his phone away again. Um, so that, I think that, that moment kind of sums up the fact that there's not really a universal feeling here. I think a lot of fans are are still figuring out what they what they make of what's yeah, happened yeah. in the last two weeks, and I think they will be for a little while. I'm fully expecting, once I'm in the stadium, to hear chants in support of Abramovich. We've just got some Newcastle fans going by in spirits.
4: I mean that's one of the other interesting bits about today is that you've got You've got old new money meets new new money, and you've got a club in Newcastle who are obviously riding the crest of a wave of a team suddenly doing well, having spent a load of money uh, in January, and with you know with new ownership, which kind of poses a lot of the same sort of questions that Chelsea are going through at the moment.
5: Yeah, in many ways, it's depending on which way you look at it, the 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 perfect or the worst possible opponent um, given developments at Chelsea for the whole sort of n- geopolitical narrative around the Premier League as a whole. I mean, yeah, there's obviously been lots written and talked about this week about the the compare and contrast between Newcastle's owners and, and, and Roman Abramovich. And I think that will continue to be a theme. It might even be a theme between the two sets of fans in the stadium because we know that, you know, generally once fans get into that environment, everything is game for point scoring for, for better sure. or worse.
4: And it's, I mean, when I sort of mentioned that sort of normal abnormality, you can get more of a sense of it, I think, when you get closer to the stadium, because there's no programmes on sale today. Uh, The club shop is closed. You know they're advertising a sale in the club shop, but nobody can can get in. The club museum is open, but only for people who've uh, pre-booked tickets. There
5: for Chelsea versus Brentford with no tickets available written underneath it, which is you know quite unusual for a for a game to be advertised, but
4: they're not advertised in terms of tickets. And you still see you still see sort of big hoardings with uh, three Chelsea sponsors who have, we know have kind of walked away, but they, they haven't gone, they're still there. So it's only really when you sort of stop and stare and really think about it that you sort of notice any kind of meaningful difference.
5: Yeah, And it, that actually kind of highlights, as much as anything, the, the holding pattern, the strange holding pattern that Chelsea are in now, because three have, have stepped away, but they haven't walked away. You know, they've suspended their, their partnership. So have Hyundai, who do the training kit. Um, but they're sort of waiting, like everyone else, to see what happens next with Chelsea. And I think we all expect there to be significant developments in the next week or two in the ownership with regards to a sale. And then, of course, these brands might reevaluate their positions when the time comes. But for now, it is definitely part of the sort of surreal
4: aesthetic of this game. So approaching kickoff now, fans pouring in through the Stamford Gate. This is where the away fans are coming in. They're the people we can hear, but I don't think that's particularly unusual. Uh, the Away fans are always the fans making the noise, um, and still it feels like a pretty normal, normal match day experience to me. Um, the one thing that does feel strange is the number of media outlets and media people. I realise I'm one of those, so there's an irony in me saying that. But approaching Chelsea fans to comment on the situation regarding their club and uh, Russia and Ukraine and Abramovich, that feels very peculiar. But the rest of it doesn't at the moment. It really doesn't. So anyway, we'll see what it's like on the inside. Standing outside, Stamford Bridge, the last few people are kind of dribbling out of the stadium now after Chelsea's 1-0 win. I don't know what I expected today. I think maybe I expected it to feel different and it hasn't really felt different. There have been some, you know, chants from Newcastle fans inside the stadium, as you've heard, but I mean, that's very much par for the course. The way it feels to me is it's, it's business. It's business as unusual. It's not quite the same, but really football football rolls on doesn't it and um, that's certainly how it felt today no real kind of great difference outside the stadium apart from people like me wandering around (laughs) journalists Um, and certainly no difference inside except perhaps that big uh, moment of relief and release for Chelsea when they scored their their winning goal but yeah football rolls on money rolls on
1: George Culkin and Liam Toomey there Uh, Simon, Newcastle came for a point, didn't they? A a fact reflected by the fact that it took Chelsea, what, 75 minutes to have a shot on target? They almost managed it, but it was that one moment of brilliance right at the end that settled it in Chelsea's favour.
3: Yeah, it was always going to be a tough game for for many reasons, obviously, the the circumstances Chelsea were playing in, but also Newcastle, in a good run of form, um, had been unbeaten in 2022 and... That's why they're sort of climbing away to safety, uh, quite quite comfortably. Um, Chelsea Chelsea laboured for long periods. They they looked. It reminded me very much um, of the the Chelsea Brighton game in April last year, which was played in the backdrop of of the European Super League fiasco. Uh, Minds elsewhere. Che- Chelsea players didn't play with the same kind of um, freedom and. It felt like they were playing with a lot in their minds, as well as Newcastle played. It looked like they were lacking um, intent, sort of. They just didn't see themselves. But they had to rely on a bit of luck as well with the referee. Um, And then quickly, well, it shouldn't be talked about quickly. There was one moment of that just was not befitting of the game. We're talking world class quality and Kai Havertz is getting most of the attention and rightly so because his touch and finish was, was sublime but Jorginho's pass I've I've always been I've, I've always wanted more from Jorginho in a, in a creative sense um, he, he does play a lot of safe passes but this was just a an absolute peach of a pass it perfectly weighted and flighted over Dan Byrne's head which allowed Havertz the chance to, to sort of touch and finish ahead of Dubravka before he could get there um, a brilliant moment which lifted which was so needed for for everyone at the club yes they'd won at Norwich on Thursday night but this really felt like a gift that all everyone associated with Chelsea needed
1: uh, Dom Peter Crouch said that there were there were shades of Dennis Bergkamp in the Havertz goal for him would you agree with that I thought there were maybe shades of Fabregas in the pass as well
2: yeah really really good um analogies both of those I mean that 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 is that is completely fair I mean the the way that Jorginho he's exchanging the passes with Rudiger and then just working the space and we 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 talk quite often about how build-up play can be quite labored but there was a purpose to that there was he was he was toying the space out of Longstaff I think it was Um, and the last pass he plays to Rudiger he then back pedals five yards so that he's got that space in front of him where he can look up and find that that gorgeous, fabregas esque um pass, diagonal beyond burn for for Havertz to to collect. An absolutely sublime pass, as I says. But the touch with his outstretched left foot to, to gather and then and then the speed at which he gets the shot away to leave Dubravka completely flat footed. That was Burkamp-esque. That really was. It was. It was. It was akin to. I think it was against Newcastle and, and Leicester. He used to score these sublime goals all the time, wasn't it? So it's It's. Uh, I mean, they must be wondering what the people have got against them, um, Newcastle United. But it was. It was a, a, a moment of genius amidst plenty of huff and puff. It's, I mean, Chelsea have been playing like this for a while. I, I, I know we're we so they sort of always got mitigating circumstances given everything that's happened in the last week, but. I th- thought that was a pretty similar performance to the one against Palace, really. Um, you know, th- threatening to take control, but never really being completely in command of the situation. And then in the dregs of the game, it was Ziyech on that occasion who came up with a fantastic finish. And, and now we've got Havertz doing the same against Newcastle. I and mean, I think this is, it's almost becoming a, it was a great, it's a great habit to have. If you're not going to be playing scintillating stuff, you just want to be grinding out your wins. And if you, you know your meaningful world-class flashes of genius are are winning you the points and that's what Chelsea have done on a couple of occasions in recent weeks
1: One similarity between the game on Sunday and the Crystal Palace game was the referee David Coote Uh, his dad used to be a cricketer for Nottinghamshire but it it was Newcastle who were were left asking how's that after penalty appeals get out, out get out
2: field. now well, bowling well, middle well, stump well. out well. the ground
1: please. I hadn't even written that down <laughs> by the way that was an ad lib, so you know uh, that's what you get for your
5: athletic <laughs> subscription
1: um, Jeez. Simon was it one of those where it, the sort of poor decisions even themselves out or or actually a Newcastle right to feel agreed that a hey, Jacob Murphy didn't get a penalty and, and before that that Kai Havertz wasn't sent up I think I'd be
3: disappointed he didn't go to the third umpire um
1: <laughs>
2: Enough. You've lost half the audience. <laughs>
3: right, let us let, I, I suppose let's deal with one one incident at a time. Um so let's start with Havertz elbow on Dan Byrne. Um, it's one of those you've definitely seen them given as as red cards, but as Havertz explained afterwards, that there were mitigating circumstances in terms of Dan Byrne's height.
1: I liked him. To, yeah, the line he used was great, wasn't it? He said he's
3: seven eight feet tall <laughs> and, and two
1: head heights higher than me.
3: <laughs> and 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 in fairness, Danny Murphy on um, Match of the Day highlighted where Dan Burns' elbow was, which was actually just below Havertz's chin, uh, in a very similar swinging motion. So that essentially, they were both doing the same thing. It's just that. Havertz's elbow connected with Dan Burns' temple. Um yes, orange card if if I'm being generous. Um and I do accept but I do accept Havertz's explanation that it wasn't intentional. I don't, because you can see on the replay that at no point is he looking at Dan Burn. It, it's not a classic oh, I'm looking to do him. It's it it was in the motion of, of jumping to win the the header. The penalty, though, is a different story. Um, it was one of those where watching it, you instantly sort of went, oh, dear. You know, you, you're waiting for the decision to be made. Bizarrely, you gave a corner, which was arguably it was just as baffling as, as as not giving a penalty. But the replays confirmed what you sort of saw first time around. You know, had completely um, panicked as, as Murphy was dribbling. Grabbed hold of his shirt and held on to it for quite a long time, actually, a few seconds. Yes, Murphy, you could argue perhaps sort of right at the end decided to fall over to probably sort of do that classic try and get the decision. But yeah, Chelsea did get away with one there, and and but they could argue well perhaps they owed one from the League Cup final. That that that's perhaps the way they'd say it.
1: Uh, Dom, Thomas Tuchel's subs by and large paid off. He, he said that it, it took some big balls to bring Pulisic on and, and put him at, at wing back. I thought actually Kovacic was maybe the, the most impactful in, in terms of that running from midfield that, that he was able to do that, that Kante and Jorginho struggled with. But another ineffective cameo from Romelu Lukaku, kind of underlined by the fact that it was Havertz who got the goal. And if Lukaku can't even be an impact sub, then then that really is a big problem.
2: Yeah, we're sort of covering old ground, aren't we? I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one, and and we've had we've had the same conversation about Timo Werner as well. You know, at the very least, you'd expect them to make an impact off the bench, the very very least, um, and they've struggled to do that this season. Um, and, and Lukaku of late. <sighs> I'm, I'm on the other the other changes. They obviously having to. There's a bit of a makeshift feel to that to that back line with, with Chaloba playing it. Right back, um and and the the, the switches. I mean, Pulisic has worked at wing back on occasion. He's also been ineffective at times as well. But he's almost at the the point where you may as well try. It. He's actually been playing really well, and obviously the I think it was an illness, wasn't it, in the week that 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 had prevented him featuring at, at Norwich. Um, so at least you're bringing on a player that's got a bit of confidence at the moment and playing playing well, and against a, a team that was sitting back and as you say looking for a point at at, at best um Kovacic, i'm almost surprised that he doesn't play more often he he's one of the the best players in, in this in this team in this squad and i know they've got they they're sort of they have loads of options in that in that midfield area and it's you know I, I still find it difficult when kante's left out because you just look at him and think well you know he, he's liable to to be a world beat at any moment he could just you know, he's, he's, all the, the the old form will come flooding back. But Kovačić has been consistently excellent with those driving runs. He's, he's got he's he's found his shooting boots almost this season as well, which has been a bit of a an added bonus. And uh, he, he just looks like the, the proper combative midfielder who will drive you on in difficult situ- situations. So. I mean, it's a great it's a great option to have off the bench, but I'd imagine that he should be playing. He should be starting more games than he's he's coming off the bench in. To be honest, but you know, difficult difficult balancing act with uh, the amount of games that Chelsea have to play. Um, and yeah, at some point, at some point, the Lukaku issue will will come back into into focus as well up top. I mean, given the the last few weeks, I imagine that that returning to to that debate, um, you know, where the hell we fit him in is uh, probably something that most Chelsea fans would welcome.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, speaking of the Chelsea fans, uh, Liam's post-match piece for The Athletic mentions that there wasn't much in terms of chanting for Roman Abramovich and, and when it was, it was, it was quickly shushed down. Quite surprised, Simon, to, to see the Roman Empire banner still up. That that felt in quite poor taste to me.
3: Yeah, it was... It was. Uh, I, I can only assume and, and sort of in their defence that maybe in the sort of stress of the last few days they just haven't got around to that that sort of the banners that are always there they haven't got around to 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 looking at and going oh yeah perhaps we should take that one away um it is pretty embarrassing that it that that it's been left up i'm sure it's it's been removed or will be removed now but yeah it was very clumsy yeah didn't wasn't the best thing but I do I do want to sort of quickly touch on the fans, really, because it's kind of following... Or maybe I should just get Lucy to talk about it. <laughs> As requested by someone on Twitter, wasn't it? Um, but I, I do sort of think, OK, it's time to give fans a bit of a break here. There, there does seem to be this determination to tar everyone with the same brush. Not everyone is chanting Roman Abramich's name. Not everyone is... is uh, blind to the effects that, to what's going on in Ukraine, it, it it does seem that that sort of Chelsea fans are getting hit left, right, and centre as like the the worst people on earth. And at this point in time, you just sort of have to think: well, forget Abramovich, forget, and and in the nicest possible way, in the, this probably clumsy phrase, forget the connections with what's going on elsewhere. Football clubs, uh, as we've seen during COVID. They are huge for people's mental health. It gives people a break from sort of perhaps what's going on in their personal lives. It's something that they look forward to. It's a chance to meet with friends. It's a chance to have a break from perhaps something else. And so, to constantly hammer Chelsea fans as as, as the worst thing in the world and, and delight in the club's downfall, I just sort of think that just just bear in mind that you know there are people that. Okay, that, that, that may not be the, the worst element of Chelsea's fan base and, and, and just love football like, like we all do on, on this podcast um, and they'll be they're, they're right to be feeling a little bit upset with what's going on and I don't think there's anything wrong with that
1: Yeah, well said, uh, well Chelsea are back in action in the Champions League on Wednesday, we'll preview that game later, next today, the latest on the off the pitch situation
0: FX is welcome to Rexham Premieres May 2nd on FX stream on Hulu.
4: I've to admit that we go day by day as I said because uh, we don't have this in our hands and the conversations are going on that uh, that we can actually you know operate the way that we can finish the season because uh, obviously it's uh, it's a difficult situation and as well we are uh, Part of the Premier League and one of the best competitions in the world, and 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 I believe that um, you know for us to to be able to to carry on to finish the uh, the season would obviously help everybody involved in the Premier League too.
1: Uh, there's Petr Cech. Before the Newcastle game, he spoke to Sky Sports about the situation surrounding the sanctions placed on the club. Simon, do we know why, why it was him who was wheeled out? It, it was a good exercise in, in saying not very much, which in fairness to check I, I suspect he doesn't actually know very much, but, but it, it felt like something that, that Chelsea sort of needed to do without really wanting to give anything away.
3: I just I just think it was kind of like he, he was the best that, that wasn't a board member, but could articulate sort of what's going on a little bit whilst effectively saying the same thing as Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> Um check is very good um at, at talking to the media. He's been doing it most of his life, obviously as a as a goalkeeper. He he did a briefing out in um Abu Dhabi during the Club World Cup. Um perhaps before all this was happening, he was starting to be moulded into a, a a sort of that kind of spokesman for the club kind of role as part of his duties. Um, you could tell as he was talking, he was pretty, he was feeling the tension, the nerves of what he was allowed to say. Um, but I thought it was very important just for someone other than Thomas Tuchel to be talking to the, effectively to the fans, you know, forget sort of the media and everyone else. I think it's important that someone that's got some kind of connection, he's obviously very close with Marina Grenoskaya, um, who was seen, sat next to during the game, that that there was an element of here's another voice to sort of say this is what's going on, even though he didn't actually, as as is true, they don't know what's going on really. Um, so it was an important exercise for for Chelsea to for Chelsea Sports to hear from someone else.
1: Uh, Roman Abramovich disqualified as a director by the Premier League on Saturday. I mean they've been really mealy-mouthed about this haven't they Dom this this feels like almost a, a meaningless thing to have happened after after the sanctions after, after the fact that the club's effectively been taken off him do you think the Premier League have handled this well do you think they were right to let the government deal with it should we have heard more from them or does that just open them up to, to further scrutiny and questions about uh, not just Abramovich but other owners in the Premier League as well?
2: well I think you've hit the nail on the head there that last bit they they They've been running away from this issue for a long, long time. They must have dreaded the imposition of sanctions on Chelsea because it does open a can of worms, as we've discussed before on the podcast. Unprecedented situation um, in as much as the war um, prompting it, but actually it's it's cast even more scrutiny onto subsequent deals that have been sa- waved through by the Premier League that apparently cleared their owners and directors' tests um, and quite rightly are now being looked at and people are wondering quite how that happened and, and you know, the, the irony that they were playing Newcastle United on Sunday is lost on nobody. The actual disqualification of a as director director is... I think purely just a box ticking exercise. It had to happen because he, he's he been sanctioned by the UK government. And therefore that means that he's not, he can't be considered to be a fit and proper person anymore to run a football club. So it, it didn't really mean anything. And I, I think that there was a natural, when that was announced on Saturday morning, I I suspect from the outside looking in the natural assumption was oh my word this is another crisis for Chelsea things are getting uh, even even gloomier and it's 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 a disaster et cetera. Et cetera. but actually I thought that a lot of the stuff that happened on Saturday was a lot more positive and and it's probably probably the start of the of a process that will lead to Chelsea being taken over sooner rather than later um a new ownership the the review the first review because I suspect there'll be other reviews of the license Offering a bit more leeway on, in terms of um, how much money that Chelsea can spend on a match day, for example, going up from five hundred grand to nine hundred grand, that's quite significant. That is that's, a, that's a, the first indication that the government is and the Treasury are, are willing to to be slightly more f- fluid on the on the terms of that licence first first announced for on the tenth of March last Thursday and then reviewed on the twelfth. I suspect there will be more further or further reviews of that in terms of ticketing. Because Chelsea needs to get some kind of revenue streams into that club to to allow them some 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 kind of operational revenues that that will allow them to pay the wages. The government do not want a situation where Chelsea are completely kiboshed by by the license or sorry, by the sanction rather, um and don't have the means of meeting the payroll. So I suspect that that, that will move again this week. And in terms of the ownership itself Rain Group, the the merchant bank in, in New York, I think, um, who was dealing with the sale, have written to interested parties and have told them to to put details of their bids in before Friday the eighteenth. They're anticipating four or five, I imagine, coming forward, and it's not quite an it's not quite a secret auction. Um, I suspect that there will be a bit of discussion from Rain with interested bidders sort of letting them know that you know you're falling short in this area or you might be able you might want to up this bit to to make a more acceptable offer but I think that process will now lead to maybe next week 10 days you you get you get a preferred buyer and then maybe in a month's time Chelsea will be under new ownership and it won't look the same it won't be the same Arguably, as it was under Abramovich, but at least it'll be on a stable footing again and the club can progress.
1: Well, Nick Candy's one of those uh, who have declared their interest. He was pounced upon by Sky's Gary Cottrell as he made his way into Stamford Bridge yesterday. This is what he had to say.
4: Just wondering how it's going. It's going good. Why do you want to own Chelsea? Just a message for the fans.
2: I've, been, I've supported Chelsea since I was the age of four. My dad was asked to play for Chelsea. I love Chelsea. I don't mind where it ends up, even if it's not with me, as long as it's in safe hands
4: needs to be in safe hands. The fans need to be involved in the ownership.
2: 100%. Yeah, they should be involved in the ownership, both on the board and economically.
4: How long will it take to sort out, do you think? Friday's best bids.
1: Uh, seems to have been doing a lot of talking, Simon, through his spokesman over the weekend. Uh, do you have a preferred bidder? Say, let's put you in the position of the person who's <laughs> deciding this sale. It, 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 do you need to know more about the people who are involved? Do you think it's likely to be somebody who haven't heard anything from yet, as, as is sometimes the case in these kind of situations?
3: Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there if there are people that we haven't heard from because I'm, I'm very cynical about people putting themselves out in the media kind um, of spotlight <laughs> <laughs> before before anything's remotely um been done, et cetera. As for a preferred bit um no. Uh, the 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 only thing I the only thing that I'm sort of thinking of Chelsea wise is just <laughs> ideally someone that's not Connected to uh, a conflict That'd be good um, So <laughs> Someone You know Who, who can't be uh, Sort of um, Looked at 19 years down the line And, and sort of punished I, I just think I just think um, That this is just important For everyone to get right Not just Chelsea Like It's important That whoever comes in Their money Is uh, Is beyond reproach And um, And And can be used by Chelsea to uh, to get things back, as Dom says, on an even keel.
2: I'm actually intrigued as to who makes the final decision, because technically yeah. Roman Abramovich shouldn't make the final decision. Um, these interested parties will effectively be buying Chelsea FC from Fordham, which was Abramovich's company. And it's only listed; it's got two two uh, directors at the moment, uh, an accountant called Paul Hegren, who's based in Surrey, and Eugene Tenenbaum, um, who obviously is very close to Roman Abramovich, um, a financier. Um, I think he lives on Jersey, I think, at the moment. Is that right, so si? I think that is. Um, but beyond that, I, I, I think it's Camberley International that own Fordstone. And although we don't technically know who owns Campbell?y The assumption was always that it was Abramovich, as it should be, given that it was his club. So, who is making this final decision? Is it is it is it rain of rains that's been told? You just 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 do it. Just just buy Abramovich. Just go out and go and sell it to anyone. Um, who who makes a decision as the which of these bidders has got the best interests of Chelsea Football Club at heart? Because that's what the fans will want to know. Surely that, that they want to know that this is, this is going to be in safe hands now. But it's a uh, that's so that's intriguing. Is it the government? Does the government have a say in it all? I mean, it's with the greatest of respect, actually, with no respect whatsoever towards the British government. <laughs> you wouldn't want them making that decision, would you? Um, but yeah, the one the other bit of good news is the fact that that rain were able to tell bidders that the process had restarted again was an indication. Roman Abramovich isn't going to fight this sanction legally. I think, which we spoke about again last week, which would would have had grim implications for Chelsea. I think it would have dragged on and on, and I imagine the license would have would have been revoked eventually, and Chelsea would have really struggled to to function. So that's good news. It seems that he's still intent upon selling and. Yeah, we just got to hope that the the person that he sells to and whoever makes that decision has got that best interest of of the club at heart.
1: Do we know if the company credit cards have been unfrozen? That was a big story on Friday, wasn't it?
2: <laughs> that was a a, a temporary situation. That, again, and I know this is in a sporting context, so it's all we're all sort of railing at this. And oh my word, this is incredible! that they can't put petrol in the team coach. I mean, this is incredible. This is what sanctions are. This is what happens when a when somebody is sanctioned who owns assets, as in a company. Um, I was speaking to people. And so, si and I did a piece on sanctions prior to them actually being um, imposed upon Roman Abramovich. And, and speaking to people then, there was this general um, sense of people don't realise what's about to happen here. The, the very basic things that we... we we take completely for granted are about to stop and they're not going to be able to do them. And one of those things is is the onus is always placed on the banks to make sure that these sanctions are implemented. If something slips through the net and a transaction is completed on the bank's watch, then the bank is the one that suffers. The bank is the one that gets punished. There are massive, massive fines hand, handed out to, to banks for uh, the abuse of sanctions. So every Bank or institution, or you know, a company that's in charge of a credit card at Chelsea, had to conduct due diligence, um, which was going to take a few days to make sure that that these transactions did not slip through the net. One of those things was the credit cards. They couldn't. I mean, technically speaking, it would have been a violation of of um, the sanction had a company credit card been used to go and put petrol in a coach if that coach wasn't being driven to a game as part of the 20 grand limit on travel for away matches etc it's it's that the nitty gritty that it came comes down to and that that is why sanctions work because they literally freeze everything you can't do anything um so it, although it's it's a great it was a great soundbite about the about the coach fuel, et cetera. Um, it was always going to happen. You know, Barkley card were always going to look at the credit card situation and and the banks were going to look at it. I imagine those credit cards will now no longer be, be frozen and and that they'll be able to, you know, buy the cans for the journey home, et cetera.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I just wanted to touch on sort of how I sort of experienced the sanctions at the, the, the under 23s game on, on Friday night when, um, of course, for senior games, the media looked after very well. Uh, here's some food. Here's some tea. Blah blah blah. It's all free. But uh, obviously, understandably, at youth level, um, it's by itself, mate. And uh, off I went to the, off I went to the the bar, the the lovely catering area, and um, I said, oh, I'll have a, I'll have a cup of tea and a pie, please. And uh, the guy behind the bar went, "It's on me." And I went, "But we've only just met." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, I quickly tweeted, "I went, this is because of the sanctions, isn't it?" He went, "Yeah." No, they couldn't say. And, and, and the conversation, okay, cheesy joke aside, was pretty much had with everyone that then queued up. They went, "It's free." It's free. Everyone got very excited. I think they were glad they came. Um, not so much for the football um but it was sort of it, it was sort of bizarre you know it's kind of of course yeah and and they had to sort of get rid of the stuff because obviously it would already been already been bought and stuff so um but again it just hammered home well you can't even it it, it would have cost a thing i don't know about a five or a six quid or something but yeah couldn't take it
1: and in the press room on sunday the press were gorging themselves silly having learned the news that the catering bill had been paid in advance until the end of the season so the famous buffet uh, has survived for now all right if you want the best insight and all the details on any potential takeover get yourself signed up for a subscription at theathletic.com slash chelsea pod you'll pay just a pound a month for the first six months next today we'll have a look at Chelsea's Champions League
0: tie with Lille this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to michelobultra.com/courtside to learn more.
2: Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub
4: But, uh, and we can go by plane and uh, can go back by plane. If not, we go by train. If not, we go by bus. If not, I drive for seven seater. Honestly, <laughs> I, and I will do. Yeah, you can uh, mark my words. I will do. I will arrive there.
1: On Wednesday night, Chelsea go to France, possibly in a seven-seater driven by Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> um, they surely need more than seven seats for that. But anyway, it was a nice gesture from the Chelsea manager. The Blues two-nil up from the first leg. How are you getting there, Simon?
3: I'm going there by uh, Chelsea's plane, uh, which is now. For... No, I'm I'm booked on a on a Eurostar. I, I was very disappointed to find out that I was leaving before the players, uh, because there's part of me that thought, oh, I might be sitting sitting with them and get a chance to sort of chat about, oh, you know, how's life under sanctions? But uh, but no, Eurostar Tuesday morning, and um, yeah, it's almost forgotten. <laughs> like there's this Champions League, you know, it's. It is weird to sort of talk about football. Um, it seems a long, long time ago since that two-nil win at home, um, which, which normally you sort of think, oh, that's a very, very comfortable um, scoreline to take back to, to to take to the away game. But with with away goals not not counting anymore, you only have to look at uh, what Inter Milan were able to do. Anfield to sort of keep the, the tie alive make Liverpool fans a bit nervous so th- this tie isn't done and dusted it you knowilla uh, they showed enough at Stanford Bridge um for Chelsea to to sort of go there and, and sort of know that they're going to have to be put in a performance although lil are without Renato Sanchez I think I think he's picked up an injury and he looks he looks very good in the first leg
1: uh, and also, Lille don't have a lot of goals in them, Dom, do they? Drew 0-0 against Saint-Étienne on Friday. <laughs> Assuming that the likes of Thiago Silva will be back, Marcus Alonso, maybe even Reece James too, it's difficult to see them scoring at least twice with, against this Chelsea team, no?
2: Yeah? yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's they, they looked a bit like the Ren team that Chelsea came up against, um, last season in the group stage I think um quite physically impressive uh, a good physical presence up top in onana in particular bamber and Sanchez was excellent at Stanford bridge um David obviously is a, a player of a proper quality who's gonna go places in his career but but yeah it was it was more that they didn't create brilliant chances they created lots of half chances and and and, and therefore Snatched at those um, and 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 didn't hurt Chelsea properly. Um, they, they might be more of a threat over there. Uh, it's interesting to see that Hatton Benafa, who who came on at Stamford Bridge, and got himself booked in a in a very very late cameo, uh, didn't really provide very much other than that. I think one shot. But he he has started the last three games now and, and was taken off along with David just after the hour mark against Anta at the weekend. So so maybe he is um, more of the creative hub for, for Lille and and the hope that they can unlock Chelsea um and hurt them in France but look 2-0 is is an that's a that's a good solid lead to take to France against a team that I think at this level probably still feel slightly inferior um maybe even psychologically they're not quite sure they belong in the latter stages of this competition that's maybe a bit unfair but but it just it just sort of feels that they're they're slightly short in 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 a lot of areas around across the team, and the Chelsea should be able to exploit that.
1: Yeah, they're sixth in League and a full twenty two points behind PSG. Uh, Simon, I mentioned Reece James briefly there. That's good news, isn't it? It seems like he'll be back a lot quicker than we first thought.
3: Yeah, I mean, perhaps I didn't phrase. Perhaps I should have been a bit more careful with the wording when I when I wrote a story last week that. Um, the initial story was, was he'd be out for up to two weeks. And yeah, then I subsequently spoke to someone else the next day. And they said, Oh, actually, it could be as little as five days to two weeks. It's always one of those timelines of injuries can be a little bit, um, can always be a little bit sort of uh, interchangeable. But it was always a minor problem. That, that, That was the that was the, the, the good news about it because the way Tuchel initially spoke was that he was sort of saying, oh, it's not good news and we are sort of having to get more scans and you, you sort of, as you were listening to him saying it, you're going, oh crikey, is he going to be out for sort of months even? Um, I I still think they should be a little bit careful with him because if, if he's picking up an injury so soon after coming back, albeit in a different, albeit in the other leg to the one that kept him out for two months, it shows there is a bit of a, perhaps a, 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 an element of fatigue from playing so much football over the last few years. Um, so don't rush him back too soon. Is he really needed against Lille? Is he really needed against Middlesbrough? Um, I, I, I'd certainly be tempted to treat him a bit cautiously and, and, and perhaps make sure he's 100% right so he's he's good to go after the international break. Um, so perhaps he won't start either game and, and we'll just come on for sort of 10, 15 minutes if he's, if he's ready to go.
1: And I guess, Dom, that would give Chelsea a little bit of leeway if he doesn't feature in these games against Lille and Borough to say to Gareth Southgate, actually, can you not pick him for the England games and we'll give him a little bit extra rest?
2: Yeah, definitely. I'd be very surprised if uh, he played much part in that, in that international window, to be honest. I think, he just, I think there'll be a, a level of understanding there given that he's now had muscular problems in both legs in both hamstrings etc um, so yeah I, I, I'd fully expect Southgate to be se- sensible on that front it's not as like if he hasn't got other options at right right wing back or right back there are plenty of players that will be desperate to get into that England team and he'll want to have a look at so it's, uh, it shouldn't be a priority to, to pick Rhys James
1: Well whether he features or not in France on Wednesday we will handle all the fallout of that game in our Thursday pod. Elsewhere in Chelsea news.
5: Kerr comes through and Kerr scores! Chelsea have done it! In the second minute of stoppage time, Sam Kerr scores a goal to keep their WSL title hopes in their
4: own hands.
1: For Kai Havertz, read Sam Kerr, the Aussie, scored a stoppage time winner for Chelsea against Aston Villa at King's Meadow. On Sunday, goalkeeper Zachira Musovic got the assist. Her punt upfield field pounced upon by Kerr, who'd earlier had a goal ruled out for offside. Chelsea had 22 shots in the game. Uh, the win means Emma Hayes' team keep the fate of their title in their own hands. They're five points behind leaders' Arsenal, but with two games in hand on the Gunners. Chelsea have seven left to play in the league, starting at Everton on Wednesday night. You can read more about the game, including the thoughts of Emma Hayes, in a piece on The Athletic penned by our friend Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And mixed news for the Academy sides. The under-18s booked their place in the final of the under-18 Premier League Cup by beating Stoke 5-1. Tudor Mendele-Dowu scored twice with Silco Thomas, Ronnie Stutter and Josh Tobin also on the score sheet to set up a final with either Leicester or Fulham. And meanwhile, as Simon mentioned, he was on hand at King's Meadow to see the under-23s draw with West Ham. It means they're still far from sure of their place in Division 1 of the PL2 for next season. Simon, you've written an extensive piece on the state of the Academy. Tell us more about it please well I hasten to add I started
3: working on this before all the drama of the last few days um, because it just it just uh, my, my interest was was pricked basically because you just go when when have you ever heard of the under 23s being in a relegation battle and then of course only, only a few weeks ago the under 19s in the youth league a competition that, that Chelsea won twice and, and reached the final on a couple of other occasions got a great record in lost 5-1 at Genk and, and you're going hang on a minute is, is there a problem here or or is this just a blip is there is it just just one of these things so I started talking to people but you know agents that 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 um, base themselves at that level of football and, and and sort of go to a lot of games um, people around um, the Chelsea youth system and yeah, it, obviously there are. It's not. It's not the academy's not rubbish, you know. And and I'm certainly not saying that. I'm not suddenly saying, oh yeah, it's all over, blah blah blah. But it's very interesting to sort of hear that sort of even within the confines of the academy that, you know, they're obviously not happy um, with what's going on. They're looking before the sanctions hit. They're sort of like desperately trying to to find players, but they they've been hit by Brexit rules. They they can no longer shop for the best uh, players in Europe between the age of 16 and 18 players like Andreas Christensen who signed at 16 uh, Nathan Aki of course now at Man City but he, he was signed at, at 15 actually uh, although I don't think he technically joined until 16 um, even Ian Mattson who's currently on loan at Coventry a player like that wouldn't be able to sign so they've been sort of like looking looking at players even as far down you know way down in the non-league or Jaden Wareham signed from from Woking etc Oh, also, it's quite interesting, they're working on a project because the, the, uh, the caveat to the sort of element of doom and gloom, the under-9s and under-12s are apparently outstanding. I don't know, I've not seen them, but this is what I've been told. They're, they're, they actually have got ridiculously high hopes for, for these age groups and they are focusing all their, not all their efforts, but there is a real sort of focus to make these the cream of the crop in europe um and people also go oh, you know that's putting a load of pressure on them you've got to remember this is this is the age when you sort of think how when reese james and mason mount you know these kids were joined at the age of eight etc and now they're in the first team so it's very much that kind of thinking of sort of trying to work with these uh, these rough diamonds and, and and sort of make them into into the real deal but anyway it, it's it's a very complex subject it's not all bad news but um, there's definitely cause for concern
1: yeah and just to add to that from from my perspective having seen quite a lot of, of both of them I'd say that there is an element of concern with the under 23s definitely but the under 18s look like a much brighter yeah. crop than the current under 23 squad so so hopefully in a couple of years it'll be back to, to business as usual yeah and I, I and I hasten to add Matt you know of course one of the One of the reasons why the
3: under 23s are also a little suffering a little bit, and and even other age groups, is that, of course, players have been promoted this season to the first team squad. So instead of playing for the under 23s, they've been in the first team. So even then, you know, there are mitigating circumstances with the under 23s, too.
1: Yeah, and you often get teams in in that PL2 Division 1 like Man City and Everton who tend to just not loan out many players. So they keep their best players, whereas Chelsea generally loan out anybody who they think has got a decent future uh, in the game. All right, so Simon's got that up on The Athletic. We mentioned George Colkin earlier and heard from him earlier. His full piece on the experience of the game on Sunday is also up. Liam's got a big read-up on the game and more. Dom, what are you working on this week?
2: so we've got uh, the mailbag going up um probably for Wednesday morning um some of the questions asked by readers towards the end of last week um hopefully um, well actually all of them will be still current cuz i think we're in a in that position where we're just waiting for things to happen now um and i need to tackle a uh, the issue of whether the new owners of Chelsea Football Club can hope to emulate what Roman Abramovich did in terms of both trophies, but also the way he ran the club, obviously being at a, a, a debt making, a, a running it at a deficit, let's put it like that. Um, and whether that's, li- whether that's likely uh, with new, new owners coming in, you know, and the implications of all that.
1: And Simon, after we've finished here, you're going to be jumping on the Athletics Football Podcast with Mark Chapman. Presumably you'll be what? L- looking at Malang effectiveness <laughs> at left back or something? <coughs> like Kennedy. That? kennedy piece <laughs>
3: yeah yeah i i hope i this almost feels like an you know let's get back to the cricket analogy it also almost feels like a net and and then i'm gonna have to go out and face um some more some hostile bowling uh, for mark Chapman. uh yeah i might have to be a bit more concise than i've been this morning on this show
1: <laughs> is that a compliment or an insult to me I'll leave it to you to definitely not <laughs> alright we'll be back on Thursday when we'll go through that little game look ahead to the FA Cup quarter final and catch up with the women's team too do join us for that if you can from all of us here though it's bye for now
2: The Athletic